thank you very everybody for listening today i'm talking to johnny westcar he is an industry veteran with over 12 years at wpp he's the former managing director of the brand union working with very big clients such as gsk heineken and amazon he's now building studio phoenix which is based in london it's a brand consultancy helping people internationally from the us india and south america johnny how are you doing Hey Ben, nice to nice to see you. Good to finally connect. It was sort of a quick meeting to set up, but I'm I'm glad that you can make it. So today I wanted to chat or sort of pick your brain about what comes after brand positioning before rollout and promotions. But knowing that you've just listened to the episode that we had before with Faisal on uh, positioning, there were some comments made about brand purpose. Uh, and whether it was a useful idea, I was curious to know: is that something that you um, you agree with? Oh yeah, um, oh, you could taking me back to that. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, look, I mean, I think um, Faisal made uh, a couple of really good points on purpose. So I think, firstly, he talked about purpose, kind of addressing category generic spaces, and I think that's fair. And, and secondly, that it has little to do with the coalface; it has little to do with how businesses you know, sell, market, operate when it comes to particularly customers. So I think those two things for me, I kind of, you know, I understand and I think fair fair points. And I think when purpose is done weakly or poorly, then I'd agree with that. Actually, I've had a very different set of experiences around brand purpose. And I think when it's done well, it it can absolutely align an organization to its brand. And I think... um, that has uh, that has a, a, a way to create enormous value. So, firstly, inside a business is where the brand is built. Okay, so the people inside the business are the brand. They're delivering the experience of the of the business and the experience of the brand. So, I think if if you think of purpose as the kind of touchstone inside the organization and the motivating factor that everyone inside the organization is, is is working with, then it's actually, I think, a really important start point. And I've, I've had experiences of working with organizations in very different sectors who, who, who do double down on purpose. And that does help create an alignment between the business strategy, its culture, and ultimately its brand, its reputation and how people experience that business. So I actually think it, it, it can offer a very a very strong path uh, if it's done well. I think if you treat it in a in a, in a kind of box ticking glib like okay we well, you know we're here to save the world type way then sure it's um it's 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 not going to be very helpful to you. I I, I kind of say yes Faisal good couple of points but I've also seen it done done really well. Yeah, it would be interesting whether or not I can get you both on a on a discussion for that particular topic but I I had to ask you one because it was Monday morning, and I want to make sure that I ask you something challenging right away before the coffee has sunk in. But two, because um, it seems to be quite a timely thing these days. Getting back to the to the main point of uh, of the interview, so I wanted to explore a little bit more about what comes after brand positioning and what comes before the actual rollout of promotions. Speaking transparently, this is not something I have a lot of experience with engaging creative agencies to sort of bring a strategic idea to life. What is a is a good way to understand this? So for example, I, I think you have mentioned on your website that there's brand strategy and then there's brand development and then there's brand building. Is that how you communicate it to to people? 
kind of. I mean, it is Monday morning, Ben, but <laughs> I'm still recovering from you calling me a veteran. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, I mean, okay. So, I mean, this industry is is quite, I think, quite impenetrable from the outside. I think there's a lot of language that's thrown around, and, and there's lots of even things like you just called out, like service descriptions. They kind of people will understand them differently depending on how engaged with brand building they are, what their general base of experiences are in terms of commercial marketing, those, those kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, there are two, two, two things. One is uh, strategy, which is about making decisions. And then there's the, the act of execution is actually taking that brand into the marketplace, manifesting it and using it to create you know, preference for your products and services to create attention, to create loyalty, whatever you're doing with it. You're, you're, so you're effectively, you know, you're still in a world of strategy and tactics. It's just you're doing it through through brand. Imagine we have a somebody who's listening who's sort of, they've decided on a strategy for their for their software product and they're looking to engage a creative agency or, or a creative person to help them communicate that brand across their you know, their marketing tactics at their website and their touch points. What is something that they well and truly that would need to be on the checklist for you to know that they're they're ready to do this? I'll go back a little bit to the last uh, the last uh, recording you did with Faisal because he was talking a lot about brand positioning. And you're, you know, we're now talking about execution. We're now talking about how you're using your brand to help you promote or sell products and services. And I think I'll try and, you know, I'll try and keep the language very straightforward. And uh, in, in my humble opinion, I think there are two things that need to be done first. So that's before you can like take a positioning and start to sell. I think there are two, two steps. I think firstly, you need to create an understanding in the mind of your audience or your customer uh, of what the brand is why it's better first before you can expect that to influence sales or or promotion or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So there's an act that you need to do between positioning and and, and selling. And, And that's creating an understanding of what the brand is. I'll come back to that in a second. Secondly, you need to create a set of what we call distinctive visual and verbal assets. These are the things that you use to communicate your positioning through. And these things, firstly, you need to be able to own them and protect them. So it doesn't matter if you're, you're a small business, a startup, or if you're a very mature global enterprise, you want to be creating assets that you can own and protect, which means you know legal registrations, those kinds of things. That's kind of a table stake. The second thing that those assets need to do you need to be able to use them in a way that will help people attribute your positioning to your brand. Yeah. So they recognize and understand that it's you. So that's, that's, that's sort of two, two things. And that's really where creativity and design play a really clear role. So on the first of these, I was talking about how you create an understanding in the mind of a customer. You need to bring the brand positioning, which is part of your strategy, uh, to life through an idea. So this is the first step. The first clue is in the word positioning. So it's either way you choose to put yourself in the market 
or it's where you let others put you if you want to think about it kind of slightly differently there's a whole concept around depositioning which is when customers are looking at different choices in the marketplace you know your competitors will say will, will, will implicitly put you in a place in the market you know if, unless unless you're very clear about where you where you are and i think um positioning is always relative to a set of needs or if you speak marketing you'd say demand spaces and these are best viewed from the customer's perspective so if you're thinking about bridging from your brand positioning to your brand identity creative and communications tools it kind of requires you to build a brand idea that brings your positioning to life so i'll give you an example here so do you know the the fintech uh, brand wise yes yeah so it used to be transferwise it's now or has been wise for a while they've recently rebranded so the the idea that they use to bridge from the positioning and i guess their brand positioning would be something like democratizing and demystifying currency i think you know currency conversion that kind of thing is um uh, impenetrable i think has been from the outside it's just lots of decimal points and kind of you worried about what your commission is and all those sorts of things so so i think their positioning was something around sort of democratizing and demystifying currency but the idea they've used to bridge that positioning into their brand identity and their design system and the way they communicate is the world's money so the message that message the world's money is focused on the widest geography and customer sets and that really opens up the market so if you think about the idea of the world's money so you then look at how that brand is designed you will absolutely see the idea of the world's money in how you perceive the brand the use of visual assets the use of verbal language the use of content the image and the impression you'll have you will feel the world's money so this step's really important and i know it sounds a little bit esoteric but you on one hand you've got this kind of positioning strategy which is probably a business document designed for a business audience even if it's for yourself you're going to be quite rational with it i would imagine to an idea which is a very human concept the world's money it's very easy to understand that idea and then that will inspire your creativity the world's money as an idea a creative platform will inspire the use of how you design your identity how you create your communications all those sorts of things that's really important now that you mention it when i think of wise and if only they were a sponsor of this episode but you do think through they use a lot of global elements like a sort of cartoonish world you know like this took faster than the speed of light you know all that kind of stuff you there's a, and they use like even a flag for some of their iconography i think which is interesting so it has a lot of that what you're saying here is that world's money idea has given them the inspiration of how they express themselves visually is that right it, 100% yeah and i think um you have to remember that the idea is you're trying to communicate the idea to human being whether it's a software brand or an app whether it's a can of soup it doesn't matter the the the, the end customer the end person is probably making the decision is is human so at the end of the day you have to place that idea into a human's world which means you're having to address thoughts and feelings your your brand is having to address thoughts and feelings it doesn't matter if you're a currency conversion um, other other currency conversion tools are available it doesn't matter if you're currency conversion or 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 anything else you're still having to place that brand into a human's world and appeal 
to human psyche and address rational factors, rational thought processes and emotional ones. You know, a lot of the time, you know, I, I speak for myself. I will buy things because I like them. Just because I, I like them. It doesn't have to be an entirely rational process. It will very much depend, obviously, on what it what your need is. But I think what this implies, in order to be able to, 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 to create an idea that can address human thoughts and feelings, you've got to have insight into those. You've got to understand them. So there's there's research needed. Um, and you know, and that, I get it. Like for a small business, that can be really onerous. But it, you can go and get insight from walking around in the street. You can get insight from going into a store. You can get it from Googling and searching. You can. So it is important not to just skip over this step. I think it's really important to ensure that you have you, you, you have really genuinely done your very best to really understand humans' thoughts and feelings when it comes to what you're offering. Because that will allow you to sharpen that idea. It will allow you to manifest it, to use it to create great brand experiences, great communications, all those sorts of things. Because they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna land better with the people using them. And it doesn't matter if it's an app or if it's if it's if it's a, a product you can, you know, you can eat, drink, put in your pocket. It doesn't matter. I also think, and just on this ideas area, I think. I don't think people think too hard about brands. I don't think like we as marketers, we create these decks and obsess about the brand onion, the brand pyramid, all those sorts of things. I don't think like people really think that much about them. A lot of it's going to be very intuitive and again, come back to either very hard, rational or very soft emotional factors. So I think therefore when we create ideas for brands, they need to be simple. So if I was going to say, say to you, for example, Ben, if, if I were to ask you to think of the Land Rover brand, so the, the automotive manufacturer, what idea would you think that brand represents? I haven't actually interacted much with the Land Rover brand, but if I'm remembering it correctly, it's sort of the, the British SUV sort of high-end brand. It has that uh, green color and the gills in front of the doors. Am I thinking of the right one? Yeah, you're being very rational about it as well. But what does it make you feel? <laughs> you have an image of it in your head, or uh, what would it make you? What would it make you think of? If it would give me an impression, yeah, it's it's, it's a high end, luxurious brand, I suppose. It's a bit classy. Wouldn't mind having one. It's not much use in Bangkok, but I wouldn't mind having one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's it's prestige, classy, British class, whatever. There's a there's a there's an idea in it, underpinner. That they leverage and that's their equity that's what they're building their brand reputation on and it will dictate to a degree how they um, innovate how they create new products and services how they you know fundamentally create value so that idea is actually relatively simple by contrast i don't know if you know the swedish manufacturer uh, volvo yeah so if i would say volvo like what idea does that brand represent to you it's interesting because volvo is considered similar here in in thailand it's quite a luxurious brand but instead of having that british heritage it has a swedish and safety heritage i think yeah well safety is the watchword for for volvo that is their brand equity and i think that's what they leverage so my point being that fundamentally it's quite simple it's very difficult getting to that level of simplicity but actually at the heart of both those brands there are very very simple ideas that they 
they understand as businesses. So, so Land Rover understands its brand. Volvo understands its brand. And they, they will make sure they are managing that brand idea very, very, very well because it's a massive source of value for them. I mean, look at intangible assets on their balance sheets. They'll be massive, probably 70, 80% of their, their organizational value. So those ideas are at the heart. And that's the first thing. That's the brand idea. And I think they don't just drop out of the sky. They can take a lot of work to get to. And they can be really fragile things, like particularly if, like if, 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 if I was a business building a brand, You've got to be gentle when you start with them, particularly if you're working with a partner, if you're working with a consultant or your team, if you've got a load of stakeholders inside your business. You, you need to be gentle with them, give them a bit of time because it's very easy to break them early and then you'll lose the, you lose, you lose the potential. So, and I appreciate this is kind of quite an um, abstract area to talk about, but um, fundamentally it is, it's the most important step. It's interesting because people listening who, who typically have a background in tech um, are more at home, I would say, with spreadsheets and, and A-B testing than they are with this kind of creative field. So I think myself and, and a lot of people listening are probably way out of their depth. But the curiosity I have is understanding that we need to create this idea. What is the mechanical process that is applied to achieve that? Yeah, well, I'm not sure the process is entirely mechanical, Ben. Um, <laughs> I, think, um, I, think, I think there's a, there's a high dose of in, intuition as well. No, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll, I'll try and, you know, I'll try and, articulate this in, in 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 a very straightforward way there's no process to getting a great idea great ideas don't come from ai either necessarily there is a there is a a creative leap that you have to take from your positioning or your strategy into the marketplace there is a there's a, a a creative step that has to happen and that creativity will help unlock an idea now I believe most people, in fact, I'd say all people have creativity within them. I think as a consultant and someone who's had uh, what would you describe as a veteran, a little bit of time in our industry, like you, you learn creative skills. They're, 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 they are skills and they, they, they're learned over time. You develop them they're like muscles, you know, the more you use them, the, the stronger they get. So, so it isn't a case of writing something into an Excel spreadsheet that gives you the answer. Um, quite a lot of the time it will come from, you know, if I just go back to the process for getting to an idea, you know, fundamentally there's a step where you need some insight. So you'll need to understand the, 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 the user better. You need to understand their world, what's important to them in order to bring insight into your idea so that when you execute an idea, you're you're able to talk to to a human being and appeal to their thoughts and feelings. So it's it is it isn't like you know it isn't a linear process. Sometimes you know you quite often will will have to take you know two steps forward, one step back, and relearn things. And I think the easier bit to kind of go from there with is when we talk about how you execute using your creative assets. The I was talking about distinctive assets earlier, and I think. Um, these need to be designed and created. So once you've got your idea, so it's, whether it's, uh, what do we say, like uh, safety for, um, for Volvo or world money for WISE, you need to create the assets that you're used to communicate those with. And I think when we get to this sort of stage, there's probably two general scenarios you'll, you'll face. One is you're either a new brand, so you're trying to create something new, and that means you've probably got a blank slate in front of you and you've probably got the widest opportunity 
to bring something new to the market. So you've probably got an opportunity with your name. You're going to have a completely fresh start with your brand idea and a communications approach, et cetera. There's nothing pre-existing. So that's scenario one. Scenario two is if you're repositioning. So if you're, if you're changing your brand, then things are slightly different because you've got a brand that is already probably recognized and understood by some people at least, and will likely have some reputation. It will have some meaning to people. So there's two kind of different mindsets. Um, you know, they're both quite challenging because with a blank sheet of paper, I don't know how you feel, but sometimes, you, you know, you stare at a blank sheet of paper and it's, it's hardest when you haven't got anything there to start with. Um, you've got a strategy, you've got to execute, but you haven't got anything. So that can be quite a tough task. You also will, will have to do practical things like if you're creating a new name for a brand, you'll have to do, you know, uh, checks, things like cultural checks. Um, can it be pronounced if you're in your marketplaces? Trademark availability, domains, uh, handles, those sorts of things. That is a really important step when you're going into creating a new brand from scratch. Repositioning is slightly different because you then need to understand a little bit more about what's going to get in the way of you repositioning uh, your brand if you, um, you're you using your current brand identity or the communications toolkit, what's going to get in the way, what's going to enable you to, to make that repositioning. So the kind of process that we would go through will depend a little bit on whether you're an existing or a new brand. But in simple terms, one step is um, if you an existing brand is to look at what we would call visual equity you already have. So in other words, our colors red, for example, Customers see a red brand, they think of us in our category. So that is an asset. Um, and if we change that color, we might lose that recognition. So that would go for all the parts of our existing brand identities, whether that's our logo, our color, um, our tone of voice, the strap line we're using, any particular way we uh, execute our communications. So what does it um, look and feel like? What kind of image set do we have? Do we have any hallmarks of our brand experience, things we do really, really well? It's important to understand those when you go into repositioning exercise. So if you're, if you're trying to take an existing brand towards a new positioning, we would, we would recommend you, you create some kind of gap analysis to show what's going to get in the way of you making this move uh, with your brand identity. What's going to hold you back? We would look at what opportunities there would be and what new things you need to bring into your brand to successfully fulfill a new positioning what, what what's going to detract what's not going to make sense in terms of your existing identity and the new positioning so is your existing identity saying something now that won't make sense when you reposition so we want to get rid of those things they'll be like detractors and we might have other things that are supported supporters they will actually they already exist in our brand and they will help us if we you know, we might be able to leave them as they are. But we might need to reimagine them. Um, they might help us develop uh, our brand in a, new, in a new market positioning. So that's one thing. The other thing is looking at trends. So we would, we would, we would typically uh, look at how visual and verbal codes are being used in categories. So if we were to look at the, you know, like fintech, uh, let's say, let's stick with currency conversion, it's easier. So if we were to look at the, the currency conversion marketplace, there'll, there'll, there'll be a number of brands that are offering comparable services. They might be uh, at different stages of brand evolution. They may or may not be kind of leaning, leading edge innovative brands. They might be, you know, 
tried and trusted, been around for a, for a while type type brands. But what we would typically do is try and understand in that marketplace, what is residual, what's kind of disappearing from the marketplace over time. So we would want to look at a category, uh, market category over time and understand what visual and verbal codes are disappearing, are yesterday's news make, are make, made to look old in today's context. We would then look at what's dominant, what visual and verbal codes are dominant. Are there multiple brands using similar concepts, themes, colors, whatever the asset happens to be? So that would be dominant and then emergent. What, what's emerging, what's new and coming into the category? Is there a new, fresh piece of thinking? These, these sorts of things these sorts of things will come in over time and will probably become dominant in the future. Got it. So just want to recap quickly the, the steps that you've mentioned here so far. So we've got blank slate and then we've got a sort of a, a rebrand or a, sorry, a repositioning. Would this be similar to the process of refreshing a brand or would it be a different process again, a refresh versus a reposition? Yes, it, it probably would be, Ben, yeah. Um, I think a, a repositioning is is a change of strategy, a fundamental change of strategy. I think a refresh uh, might be sparked by something different. It could be a tactical response to the marketplace. It could be it could be done for more kind of aesthetic or, like I'm saying, like design from a design trends perspective. The strategy is good. The positioning sound but we just we look a little bit like we're not keeping up or there's a new there's a new competitors come into the marketplace um we don't need to change our strategy but they kind of look like they look like they look like the shiny thing in our in our category um how do we respond to that without undermining our existing positioning got it and so for the repositioning you have these first two steps the first one is it was basically looking at any kind of barriers and detractors, but then also looking for opportunities and, and supporting points. So I guess an example of a barrier might be if you were, say you had an app that was targeting families and you've decided, actually, we want to target professionals, all the family-related elements are now distractions and barriers from actually pushing forward with the new positioning. Would that be right? Yeah, that's exactly as you, as you say, Ben. It's exactly those sorts of things you're looking to do it's kind of like um it's kind of helpful to think of it as you're almost sieving (laughs) you're almost pushing your brand for a sieve so the steps we would take is and again these are practical things that your listeners can do if they they're thinking about their brands You, you you can audit your brand so you can you can you can get some visual reference of everywhere your brand is put it in one place it's easy to digest it you can look at that in as an entirety then that effectively is your brand world if you push it through those filters, like what's going to hold us back? The things you've just talked about, what's detracting in this new position? What's going to support what's existing there that can support a new positioning? Or even if we have to reimagine it a little bit, what's the core essence? If we throw that away, what have we, what have we, um, you know, we, we lost the core value of our brand. We've thrown the baby out of the bathwaters. There'll be things that we can't lose. It could be the name, it could be a color code, those sorts of things. So yeah, so it's like think of it as a big sieve. It's kind of quite a, a quite an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, it's a very tactical idea. And so the second step you have here is to look at trends. So things that are sort of becoming a bit, for lack of a better term, I'm sure this is a 
a technical industry term, but uh, if things are becoming old school, so I can think of um, the Intel logo has that uh, swish mark around it, which, as I understand it, used to be very popular in the 90s to have this kind of circular element to a logo, but it obviously looks perhaps old school these days. But I'm not sure what some of the emergent or sort of newer, trendier visual things would be. But thinking of these two steps so far, and uh, apologies for interrupting on the steps there, but would this be similar for a, for a brand refresh as well, that they would need to go through these two steps anyway? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think um, from a refresh perspective, it would be important to look at trends uh, and important to look at competitors, look at your market, look at what's new. I don't think like the the looking at visual equity and using the sieve, for example, that, that I think is more useful and more practical if you're repositioning, you're fundamentally changing the brand. Um, it tends to answer, help you answer those sorts of questions. Looking at residual dominant and emergent trends in your category, definitely if you're looking to refresh, I would, you know, it's, it's quite simple. You can just run a bit of paper, residual dominant and emergent, and just clip images and clip, clip references of what you see. And you'll, you'll be able to categorize things and understand what these new things are that are coming into your category. It doesn't, just because it is emergent, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean it has value for you, though. You have to just like, relate it to your own you know, your own, your own position and why you're looking to refresh. Makes a lot of sense. So after we've, we've looked at the, you know, barriers and opportunities, and we've also looked, you know, at the trends in the space, what would be the, the next step for a reposition? I think once you've, um, once you have your idea, once you've, once you've, 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 you've made decisions about if it's an existing brand, what equity, what visual and verbal equities you're going to keep or what you need to bring in, you then go into 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 creative into design. I think you then have a very clear design brief. You have a brief of an idea, strategic idea that can bring your positioning to life. You will have a set of decisions, and and you have things that you don't want the design or the creative to to change, and you have things that you're inviting them to change. You'll also have a if you do the trends exercise, you'll also have a good grasp of what's new in your category, and and you might want to highlight things to the to the consultant or the creative you're working with. So I think what you've just done is effectively create a really robust brief. There is then the, the design magic needs to happen. You then need a really competent creative who can understand those things and then create the new brand identity, create a new brand design toolkit. When it comes to working with a creative person, do you have any suggestions on how, how you pick the right person? I think some people may be tempted to, you know, even ask someone internally within the company to have a go at this. <laughs> what, what would be your suggestion around picking the right person for the job? Well, firstly, I would um, always suggest you look for conviction. And that is someone who, 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 who you know, you believe has conviction in their thought processes. They're experts at the end of the day. So if I, if I hear someone say, like, you hey, you could do this or you could do that. I typically run a mile because I, that's not, you know, if I'm bringing a consultant in to work with, I, it's, I'm not interested in coulds, I'm interested in shoulds. So I would, I, would, I would look for conviction. That to me is a very important thing, belief in what you're doing and why you're doing it. Technical skills and technical competence are incredibly important. In today's world, most brands are manifested digitally. Most of them 
will uh, probably be in categories where a lot of uh, the service experience is going to not be a, a you know look at a bit of page advertising or, or, or install communication a lot of the time you'll be delivering brand experience through apps on mobiles through digital channels um, so you need I think in today's world you need creative partners that can deal with joining up all of your your channels into a consistent brand experience for you which if you think about it that if you're a scale brand for example so if you imagine that you have a brand that that that, that has physical retail as well you've got to join up a brand experience that people physically walk through the door into as well as when they're at, you know home on a sunday afternoon and, and thinking about some shopping for example so quite different technical skill sets one is environmental design and uh, shopper journeys and experience of being in the store and uh, all those sorts of things and the other is going to be how do i create engagement give the right information and transact using use, use, using an app and those those are quite different skill sets so it's quite hard to find consultants and creators that can deal with channels like that in in a totality so it kind of it does depend a little bit on what your where your brand manifests if if you're if you're primarily like a lot of brands will be if you're 90 99% digital and you're delivering a software service then um obviously the ability to execute well in those channels is really important and the, the other the other thing I'd, I'd mention is um with content being so important for brands um then actually de- design is not so much about creating images these days it's about creating uh it's like filmmaking you're having to think about storytelling you're having to think about the way the content is being delivered um a lot of that involves motion processes audio as you mentioned earlier so it's quite multi-layered so i think the best approach i would recommend to people is either is either make sure the expert you're working with is competent in the channels you need or be prepared to find experts who are who are uh, perhaps work for different businesses, but can collaborate to, to join things up for you. So we have two parts to, to such a project. The first would be coming up with a concept and the second would be developing those, those visual assets. So imagining it was a, an SMB, and I understand that these types of projects will obviously vary depending on how many things that they need to be made and how complicated it is to come up with a, with a concept, but, what would be the average time frame to actually start and finish a project that it's basically it's done now we have everything we need now we just need to change the website we need to change this change that uh, yeah it's it's a really tough question ben because it will depend so much on there isn't really a uh, hard and fast rule i've seen it done like i've seen i've seen really thoughtful strategic well resourced processes that chew up a lot of time and money and then spit out pretty weak results equally i've seen that really agile processes and you know sometimes where a lot of sort of work's been thrown at the wall and then you just see what sticks and then test and learn i've seen that work really well so it depends a little bit on like how you as the brand owner need need to work um I, you know ultimately the more time you you have you know usually gives you longer to um get insight into the process like i mentioned do a bit of test and learning to to do those sorts of things so you know it, branding programs can can take a 
that can take a long time for a big business because you're having to change a lot. And it's not just the change, it's helping people understand the change. If you have a business, so if you have a business um, and let's say you have you know, a few hundred employees, if you're changing your brand, then it's important that, 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 that they understand why that's happening too, because fundamentally they're delivering your brand. So there's a whole engagement aspect that has to happen and that can take time too. Um, I think for small businesses, it can be relatively straightforward. If, if you're working with a, a helpful partner and you've got some resources, then it can be a relatively straightforward process. I would say, though, um, what's what's interesting is, uh, like, obviously, there's lots of tools in the marketplace that allow you to kind of, like, pop brands out of a box. You know, you can, like, uh, buy a template or just stick a query into chat GPT and you can, you know, you've, you've got your next campaign strap line and, like, that those really you know they're, they're um they can be helpful but that's not really branding that's um that's 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 that i would say that's something something else and designed for a different a different marketplace yeah I, i'm i'm with you and on the value of proper positioning and proper branding i remember a long time ago uh, when i actually lived in the uk i was working with a a, ser- a startup cereal brand and I went to the trade show and there was this new brand that had absolutely creamed the market. They had taken this is cereal, so probably maybe not the most exciting segment, but it's called Bear Cereals. And uh, it absolutely took so much business away from Kellogg's. And I remember one of my colleagues saying to me like, yeah, no wonder because they just spent 40,000 pounds on just getting their positioning right. And they had worked out that, you know, the main segments of cereal were uh, sort of senior people who wanted oatmeal, children who wanted something sugary, and uh, professionals and parents who wanted something to go, and then bear targeted children. But the main concerns of parents were sugar, so they made the all natural bear cereals brand, and it, it absolutely made a huge difference. But for for somebody listening, I guess I think they probably want to. They would be interested to know like how long would this kind of investment actually have to take? You know, is it a three-month effort or is it a six-month effort to in order to prioritize it in the mind against other things that they could be doing? Yeah, no problem. I mean, I think for, a, just say, for example, if um, if you're a relatively small business and you can make decisions quickly, then I, I think to, to, to create an idea and to, 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 to get your basic brand identity work done, can, I think three months is reasonable. You know, it could be could be shorter if you really prioritize it. So, you know, you have to be careful as well. I mean, some you know, I've, I've I've had experiences where I've worked on big corporate branding programs that have taken years, and by the time you get to the end, the market's changed. So, mm. the there's there's a there's a value in being agile. <laughs> Absolutely, um, you have to seize the moment to a degree, particularly if you've spotted an opportunity. I mean, there's a great example. I mean, that's a good example of an idea so the bear idea every design decision that that brand has made is to manifest its its its, its positioning and focus on its market on on, on um children and, and looking for kind of healthier breakfast options so it's kind of i you know th- those are the things that you have to do but you um i think i think you can be if you can be agile if you can make decisions quickly if you're prepared to take a little bit of risk, you can work. You, you you can work quickly. I mean, we typically work on sprints that we work. You know, we take a take a lead from software development, 
our creative business, we work we work in two-week sprints and we join sprints together. And that's helpful to some clients. Some clients don't work on sprint uh, method. So we, do, we work around their, their processes. Um, so, yeah. Got it. It, what what is something that people typically get wrong? So when when these type, apart from taking too long, but have you seen any any shocking mistakes that have been made in these rebranding programs? Sorry, not rebranding. Well, from, uh, yeah. Re <laughs> <programs>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From from yeah, I think there's a few things. I, I, I think I think one this illusion that it's fast and cheap to do it well, you know whole uh, using AI or using pre pre-configured kind of solutions because I think good creative execution needs two important things. It needs creative thinking and it needs technical expertise. And those things, if they're good, they're going to have value and therefore they're going to, they're going to cost some money and take a bit of time to do. So fast and cheap doesn't usually lead to a good, a good long-term solution. And that's the critical thing. Branding is a long-term investment. It's very different to sales promotion. You're looking to create value over time. You're building a position in your market over time. So you, your brand ultimately is, is, is going to be an intangible. So you, you, you have to create that positioning through absolute clarity and absolute consistency over time. So what is difficult in terms of business decisions is if you invest in your brand and you launch your brand and blah, 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 great success. And then six months later, something changes in your market. If you go back and rewire your brand and change your brand, you, you may be making a very short hand decision that undermines the work you've, you've just done. So you do have to think long-term and um, we do, you know, it's quite hard sometimes to be relentlessly consistent and, and not change your strategy, not change your positioning, not change the idea when everything you know, there's a lot of, uh, in the world we live in, there's a lot of feeling of urgency all the time and immediacy of problems and things. Um, but I think, you know, great brands, some of the ones we talked about earlier, um, they're built over time. And therefore, being tempted to change things when you've only really just started, I think is, 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 is often a mistake. Got it. What are some things that you can do to check, so say you're on the receiving end of a completed program? How do you know that it actually went well or that uh, quality work was delivered well i think um you how do you how do you know if you've had quality well fundamentally you should have two things happen one will be a slightly softer measure which i'd say is reputation so you you should have some sort of feedback from some places that will will give you the feeling that you've made the right decision so that could be good press coverage it could be good anecdotal stuff from customers it could be employees feeling that we've made the right move. So those are the, the less measurable, perhaps, things, unless, of course, you, you do measure your, your sentiment, your brand sentiment. And the second is, is, is going to be the results you have. So, you know, are you getting a better rate of sale? Are you, um, are, you know, are, are you, if you're in a retail environment, are you getting a, a, a better place in the supermarket to have your product merchandised? If you're an app, are you, are you climbing the, the app rankings? Um, are you are you getting if you're a software service then it could be um it could be you're getting a, a much improved customer experience so it could mean that you're seeing that you know you because you've made your brand for example more intuitive or easier to understand or simpler you might be getting customers 
recommending you. You might get customers using multiple services if you track those kinds of things uh, in terms of your customers. So, so yeah, so I think you can, there's, there's going to be soft and hard measures you can, you, you can look at. Absolutely. Got it. Second last question, just before we go in terms of budget. So if you're an SMB and, and you're looking to get this done in the best way possible, but you don't have as many resources as more established company or larger company, what would your advice be to these types of organizations? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah, I understand the, the, the question. I think that it, if you're, if you're a small business and you're often going to be resource constrained, and I think you have to recognize to a degree that if you, do, if you do it, like, for example, DIY, let, let's say I'm going to do this myself or I'm going to get a mate to do it or something, you have to understand it's not really any different from any other service you use or buy. So, for example, if you're going to buy, if you're going to build your own house, could you do it? Possibly, you could do it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Would there be a difference between the house you built and the house the the building contractor built? I would imagine there probably would be. So, you, you, you do have to understand that that this professional services marketplace um, it's often advisory. So, therefore, there if you if you if you use someone good, you you need to expect to to fund it and pay a fee and um, you know those those fees. The more complex the job, particularly if there's lots of stakeholders involved, and and part of the project is actually trying to get to a place where you have stakeholder alignment to a repositioning, for example. Those can be quite long processes, and therefore the the, the, the fees can 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 rack up. Um, so, I think you, you do have to recognise fundamentally that you know that there's value in the service, and therefore it's worth paying for if you work with someone good. Can you do it on, on on modest budgets? Absolutely, you can. I mean, um, you know, we, we've had experience of working with clients that in-house uh, as much as they can uh, and are qualified to do, and, and they, they're confident they can do well. And then we work with clients that will bring us in and we will, we will run short, quick hits of work to help them move forwards. And then they'll, they'll do the rest, you know, with, with their own teams. Um, is there a difference? We like to think so. We like to think that we we get good results for our, our, our clients. So it's quite hard. Um, it's quite hard to talk budgets because out of context, um, on one hand, it could be a very straightforward program for a relatively small business. On the other hand, if if, if you've got um, multiple brands, um, multiple geographies, or those sorts of things, um, the the skills you need will change, and, and and therefore you're likely to need to expect some some sort of resource increase to, to cope with that. Yeah, it, it sounds like the, the clear solution is not to do the cheapest DIY possible um, unless you end up with that. What comes to my mind is that Homer Simpson car where he uh, he teams up with his, his brother or something to create whatever the average American man wanted and it was a disaster. <laughs> but, yeah, don't, um, don't, don't, be, don't be Homer. Um, don't be Homer. <laughs> um, be, as I say, like it can be really tempting. There's, there's you know, there's lots of, there's lots of uh, you know tools for the miners for sale, so you can you can pick up, you know you can pick up out of the box solutions and things. That's that's that really isn't branding. I would definitely come back to that point. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Excellent. So for people who want to learn more or connect with you, where should they go? StudioPhoenix.agency. Perfect. I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes. Otherwise, Johnny, thank you so much. Hey Ben, uh, great to chat. Thank you.